It's the Veterans Radio Hour. Proudly supported by McDonald's and their national salute to the U.S. military. Now, stay tuned for the Veterans Radio Hour next on the TRN Talk Radio Network. Tango Charlie Bravo, you're a go for the Veterans Hour. Hi, uh, she'll have a Happy Meal and I'll have the Big Mac. Dad, when will I be old enough for a Big Mac? When you're in college. College. Now, when you register specially marked McDonald's gift certificates at youpromise.com, a portion of the value goes into a YouPromise account for a child's education. So, the more specially marked gift certificates you buy, the more you'll save for college. I want to be a doctor. Hello, gift certificates. Sign up for free and get the details at youpromise.com. We love to see you smile. Welcome, one and all, to the Veterans Radio Hour. It's our tribute to all of those who served our great nation's armed forces, past and present, and their tremendous accounts of heroic duty and bravery. With your host, Brigadier General Dave Grange. And now, coming to you live from our Veterans Center studio, here is General Dave. In November 1965, 450 men of the 1st Battalion, 7th Cav, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, were dropped by helicopter into a small clearing in Ai Drang Valley, Vietnam. They were immediately surrounded by 2,000 North Vietnamese soldiers. The American GIs faced what seemed to be certain destruction. How these men preserved, sacrificed themselves for their comrades, and never gave up will be discussed on our show tonight with Lieutenant General Retired Hal Moore, the author of the book, We Were Soldiers Once and Young, war correspondent Joe Galloway, the co-author of that same book, Randall Wallace, the director of the movie, We Were Soldiers, and Sam Fontano, the radio telephone operator for a platoon, that particular platoon leader, Lieutenant Rick Riscola. The audience tonight uh, with us, we're privileged to have veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and other recent operations around the world. Veterans like Tom Jordanian, a POW from the Battle of the Bulge, Stan Cook, U.S. Army Air Corps, Tom Rendell, commander of an ROTC region, region. John Holland, Vets Classic, Bob Jink, Jint from Vietnam, and many other veterans here with us tonight. And now to the producer of our show, Kenny DeCamp. Thank you, David. We're going to have a great show tonight, and uh, we want you to call in, if you'd like, 866-928-2329. And those of you online in 55 different countries, go to our chat room, veteransradio.com. I think General David, dedication. Okay, tonight's uh, dedication is not going to be to one individual, one of our fallen comrades, like we usually do every week, but to a group of soldiers soldiers from the fight in the Idrang Valley. We were soldiers once and young. The show is dedicated to the memory of these brave soldiers who gave their lives for their country and for the men who fought beside them in the play coup campaign in October and November of 1965. We're moving into the valley of the shadow of death, where you will watch the back of the man next to you as he will watch yours. 
I can't promise you that I will bring you all home alive. But this, I swear, I will be the first to set foot on the field, and I'll be the last to step off, and I will leave no one behind. We will all come home together. So help me God. Our guest uh, on telephone with us tonight, uh, first guest is Lieutenant General Retired Hal Moore, West Point graduate, infantryman, master parachutist, aviator, awarded the Distinguished Service Cross and six other awards for valor, commanded two infantry companies in the Korean War, also commanded at battalion and brigade level in Vietnam, co-author of We Were Soldiers Once and Young. And I believe we have General, uh, General Moore on the phone with us now. Sir, are you there? I'm right here. Hey, sir, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. We'll Great to be here. Hope, hope I can help you. You can, sir. We'll be back to you in just a moment. We also have in studio with us several other guests. Who in the hell are you? I'm a reporter, sir. Joe Galloway, UPI. How's it going, Colonel? Well, we've been flat to the board since last night. We're crazy out now. Well, I can't guarantee your safety. Yes, sir, I know. And that's Joe Galloway. I'll never forgive myself. For what, sir? That my men died and I didn't. Sir, I don't. I don't know how to tell this story. Well, you got to, Joe. You tell the American people what these men did here. You tell them how my troopers died. Yes, sir. Thank you. And Joe, like I said, is with us here tonight. Reporter, war correspondent, writer. He had four tours in Vietnam. One of the only uh, correspondents to receive an award for valor as a correspondent. Also spent time in Desert Storm and other operations around the world. A world. And uh, we're proud to have him with us tonight. Currently, uh, he's been the advisor to uh, the State Department, White House, uh, and again, as I said, co-author of We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Good evening, Joe. Thank you for being with us. Nice to be here, Dave. And uh, we're going to be back to you in just a moment. I want to bring on another guest. My hope is that the American family can heal wounds that have been there since Vietnam. Okay, and I, this is Randall Wallace, Hollywood writer and director. He uh, produced the We Were Soldiers, Braveheart, Pearl Harbor, and Man Behind the Iron Mask. Randall Wallace, thank you for being with us tonight, sir. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be with you, especially with General Moore and Joe Galloway and Sam. It's uh, just great to be with all of you. Well, we appreciate your time, and uh, we're going to be back with you uh, shortly. And we have one other guest with us tonight in studio. Uh, and we're very honored to have him, have him with us tonight uh, from his perspective uh, where he was in a battle, and we're going to talk about that somewhat, and that's Sam Fantino, 1st Cavalry Division. He was awarded the Bronze Star for Valor. And he was a radio operator for Lieutenant Rick Ruscola, who was killed on September 11th in the World Trade Center, saving many people. So, Sam, thank you for coming tonight as well. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. And uh, with these four gentlemen tonight and those that uh, the call-ins that we have, uh, we're going to have a great show tonight. And I'd like to start off first with uh, General Moore. And uh, General Moore is a quote from John F. Kennedy. It's in your book. 
and it's any dangerous spot is tenable if men, brave men, will make it so. And I would say LZ X-ray was an example of that, sir. You're damn right. Um, it, it, it takes uh, not only brave men, but, but men who love each other. Men who fight for each other, men who kill for each other, men who die for each other. That's what holds ground. It, it, it's as simple as that. Well, that, uh, that battle definitely gave an example of that. We're going to go into more, more detail uh, with that, uh, with LZ X-Ray. I want to turn to Joe Galloway here for a moment, who was uh, by your side in that fight. And uh, also in your book, uh, a quote from General Sherman. Uh, and, I, and I bring this quote up, Joe, because I want to lead it into Sam with this. But uh, the quote is, we have good corporals and good sergeants and some good lieutenants and captains. And those are more important than good generals. Your comment on that? Well, it's true, <laughs> but you need a good battalion commander in a fight like that. And, and we were fortunate enough to have one in Hal Moore. And if he hadn't been as good as he was, as smart as he was, uh, none of us, or at least Sam and I, wouldn't be sitting here tonight. And you wouldn't have. Hal on the phone either. Yeah, that's for sure. The but the the strength of that battalion and any battalion lay in its non-commissioned officers, guys who had fought in World War II and Korea and were earning a second star on their top of their CIB. Uh, men like Sergeant Major Plumley, uh, just an absolute great soldiers uh, and. They were the backbone of the unit, and they they kept everyone alive. Right. You mentioned the sergeant major, the sergeant major, a veteran of, of the uh, airborne in World War II. And I'd ask Sam, uh, what did you think about your sergeant major, your sergeant major in the unit for training up, and then later on in the fight? Well, uh, Sergeant Major Plumley was not really my sergeant major. We were with the second battalion, seventh cavalry. We were attached to the first cavalry division going into the I drain. Um, what I thought of him when I saw him. <laughs> and if you saw the movie, you know exactly what kind of a person he was. Uh, you talk about a stand-up guy. He lets you know exactly what he felt, how he felt. You know where you stood. There was no gray area. It was black and it was white. And uh, he's one of the reasons that we're here. Yeah, uh, an advocate of the training that General, General Moore uh, put his troopers through prior to going in. I understand about before the fight, about 2% of the, of the soldiers actually had, had combat experience. That was it. Well, Is that that's right. right. Uh, uh, Colonel Moore's battalion was 60-plus uh, percent draftees. Uh, near the end of their term of two years of service, uh, uh, when they went into this battle, uh, so they had no opportunity for combat experience. Uh, your, your combat experience lay in the officers at Lieutenant Colonel and above, and in those NCOs who had plenty of combat experience. Yeah, uh, General Moore. Yeah, I'd like to comment on that. Uh, I, I really am happy to to take the opportunity to talk about my great soldiers. I took command of this battalion in June of 1964. I commanded it for many many months before we went to Vietnam, and into that battle a year and a half later. Uh, many of these soldiers trained together in boot camp at Fort Jackson, South Carolina, 
and uh, we we were a a family really of uh, of, of brothers. And we were we were black, we were white, we were Hispanic, and uh, and we were brothers. We were we were a, a tight family team, and this is what held us together as we went into this into this battle. And it resulted in, in so much grief as, uh, as our brothers were shot and killed and wounded around us. And one of the problems that I encountered in that battle was that uh, as, my, as my men were getting wounded, uh, my troops would, uh, would, would go out and try to get them and bring them back. And they themselves were killed. Uh, we we were we were a tight family and uh, and we and we fought for each other. That's that's all I that's all I could really say. And uh, as the war progressed, and draftees replaced us, my troopers, and other troopers in in other divisions in that war, uh, we became less than a family in that war. And we became a family, uh, we became a group of draftees. And then as it progressed, however, those draftees learned to love each other. And they fought for each other. And uh, that's what held us together throughout that whole, that whole, in, in that whole tragic war. Let me ask you a question on that, sir. Uh, you know, U.S. soldiers, uh, it became a one-year tour. Um, and then the, your enemies, uh, North Vietnamese, Viet Cong, depending on where you were, or what fight, um, it was pretty much death or victory. Uh, what did the one-year tour, have, what kind of effect do you think that had on uh, our operations in Vietnam? That had a terrible detrimental effect. Uh, this, this war was a very tragic war. It's, it was a war that we should not have gotten into. Uh, it was a loser's game from the start. It was a very worthy cause, but it was a futile cause doomed from the beginning. Uh, it was a war of draftees and of, of uh, lieutenant colonels and colonels and generals who were getting their tickets punched by being in command for six months and then moving on. And the troops suffered as, as these changes of command occurred. And Joe, Joe Galloway and I saw all of this and uh, I saw it, and uh, the enemy, they came down from the north, and they, they were down for the rest of the war, whether they lived or died. These, these enemies wanted to get the white man, the brown man, the black man, the round-eyed westerner out of Vietnam, no matter how many men it cost them and how long it took. Well, sir, let me uh, take that and go. I want to go to Sam for a minute and get down to one of those troopers. And I want to just lead in with a question for him, his opinion on, the, you know, what does the trooper see? What is his viewpoint on the battlefield? And let me just read you this line. The comfort of a trench just big enough to hold your body is unbelievable. It certainly is. <laughs> they're never deep enough and they're never big enough. Uh, from the perspective of, of uh, a trooper in the field and not uh, an officer leading the men, <clears throat> war consists of three men to your right, three men to your left, and that's about all you know about. 
Uh, being a radio operator, I had obviously a little bit more responsibility and a bigger scope of what was happening. But that's war. War is just a few men to the right and a few men to the left and a whole bunch of people in front of you. What you do, General Moore couldn't have been more right. You fight for the man next to you because he's the guy that you have to depend on. He's the guy who's willing to lay down his life for you and you're willing to lay down your life for him. It comes down to that. It's one-on-one, -on -one, you for him and him for you. And as long as you know that you're there for each other and you can count on him, no matter what the odds are, you can make it through this. We were very fortunate. We had a tremendous leader in General Moore who guided us through, and I was the luckiest man in Vietnam having the Lieutenant Rick Riscola to fight under. He was a man who had experience, but was by far, in my opinion, and obviously I'm a little jaded here, the finest officer in the United States Army. Yeah. Well, he's a great man. He's got a great reputation, and, uh, and uh, heart goes out to him. Uh, he was a hero again, of course, on September 11th. I want to turn now to Randall Wallace for a moment. Uh, he's, he captured in the movie. And I, and I got to say, you know, uh, there's a couple movies I personally, there's some that I don't like about Vietnam at all, and some movies about war that I, I, I like a lot because I think they're realistic. They try to bring out what the, what the soldier feels like in combat. Uh, Saving Private Ryan, Black Hawk Down. And we were soldiers. We were soldiers. And in, we were soldiers. Uh, a lot of people say, well, how can you capture what it's really like in combat for a trooper? And, uh, you know, in the book, uh, it was that, it says in the book, it was the kind of scene that Hollywood could never produce because the men had the dirt and gore of combat completely drenched into them. You can only get that dirty and that proud if you have been in combat and survived it. You can't put it on. Well, I think Randall came pretty close to that. I don't know, Joe, but Randall, was that a challenge? Well, absolutely it was a challenge, and uh, we, we had no option. Uh, failure was not an option here. Uh, we had the, the enormous advantage of having the people who had experienced this uh, to draw from and inspire us, uh, General Moore and Joe and, and uh, uh, people like uh, Ernie Savage, and, and also the wives. Um, you, you can't be in the, pres in the presence of these people without being determined to, to give the, the full measure of your abilities uh, the way they had given themselves and continue to give themselves throughout. Um, also, we had an amazing advantage in that people felt the story had never been told correctly. And there are a lot of people in the, in the film business who have been touched by Vietnam as uh, throughout America. Um, the man that designed our makeup, who, who, who did the battlefield balloons, had himself been a Marine, a Marine captain, a company commander. Um, and he knew what wounds looked like. And, um, and all of those people pulled together to, to do the result. We were inspired to run our production the way General Moore had, had commanded himself. Uh, which was to be a team, to work together, and to have a common goal that we all believed in. You know, um, yeah, and I think you captured a lot of that. I, you know, Joe Galloway sitting here with us tonight doesn't look any different than he did in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to I ask Joe something about fear. Fear comes, you recognize it, you accept it, you don't think about it anymore. What, I mean, was that your first tour in Vietnam? 
That was my first tour in and, Vietnam. Uh, but I had been with the Marines for about seven months. I'd been shot at. A so few you've times. been shot at, uh, but I, it was a bit fearful in that fight here in LZ X-ray, was it not? The first rattle out of the box for me was the second morning when uh, I was sitting there and and two battalions attacked the southeast perimeter Charlie Company and and were close to overrunning it. And I was flat on my belly, all feathered out at the edges and cussing my buttons and zippers when I got thumped in the ribs. And, and I looked around, and it was, uh, it was a big size 12 combat boot, and it was Sergeant Major Plumley. And he looked down at me, standing there in this hail of gunfire, and he says, you can't take no pictures laying on the ground, Sonny. <laughs> and, you know, you're obliged to get up and put your fears behind you and go about your business by the sheer example and force of the man. And that's what I did. Yeah. yeah you got to, you know, everybody's afraid. Everybody's scared. But you got to be able to control your fear. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to be taking a break here shortly. And with us tonight, we got Lieutenant General Retired. Hal Moore, war correspondent Joe Galloway, movie producer or director Randall Wallace, and uh, RTO radio telephone operator Sam uh, Fontino. Kenny? Thank you, General Dave. This is our 11th show of the Veterans Radio Hour. We have to thank all of our listeners and our live audience and the 55 countries that are now jumping in on uh, the internet site veteransradiohour.com. We want to welcome the National Vietnam Veterans Art Museum for all the support they've been giving to the Veterans Radio Hour. We also want to recognize our new station in Boston, the Boston Talk Radio Station, WBPS. Next week, lessons learned or not from the Gulf War. We'll have Steve Robinson from the National Gulf War Resource Center and Aaron Cole, Veterans for Common Sense. They'll be live with us here in the studio. We hope you plug in. I also want to thank Andrew Palermo. He's in the audience again tonight with us, or actually for the first time. He's our good buddy who supported the show in memory of his father. Also, retired Lieutenant Colonel Dan Begoyevich, one of our outstanding good guys. We'll be back in a few minutes, and uh, so stay tuned to the veteransradiohour.com. It's all coming live your way at the Veterans Radio Center out of Downers Grove, Illinois. Hour continues to salute our nation's armed forces and their families when the Veterans Hour continues on the TRN Talk Radio Network.
The Veterans Hour now returns to full readiness on the TRN Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour proudly presents our military hero story of valor. Tonight's hero, Private First Class Melvin Brown from the uh, engineers of the 1st Cavalry Division, Korean War, September 1950 in Kaesan, Korea. Brown's platoon secured Hill 755 as the enemy attacked with an overwhelming force. Private First Class Brown took up a position on a 50-foot high wall and delivered rifle fire, taking out many of the enemy until all his ammunition was expended. Though wounded, he remained at his post and threw his grenades into the attackers, causing many casualties. As the attackers swarmed his position, he took out 12 with his entrenching tool until mortally wounded. Private First Class Brown's extraordinary heroism reflect the highest traditions of the United States Army. The Veterans Radio Hour salutes the Active Service Person of the Week, made possible through the support of Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer. As they say, PB Army, ASAP. Pabst Blue Ribbon Beer, available at your local retail outlet. Tonight we're going to honor Specialist Janet Miller. She's from the 9th Theater Support Command, heading to Japan to support the Pacific Command's operation. She's currently in Fort Eustis, Virginia, undergoing pre-deployment training. A big hooah to you, Specialist Miller. Hooah. Let's go back to our guests. Okay, tonight, uh, still in, uh, with us, we have three of our guests. We have uh, Sam Gall uh, or Joe Galloway, the war correspondent, Lieutenant General Retired Hal Moore, and uh, Sam Fantino uh, with us tonight. And I'm going to go uh, back to Joe and talk about, uh, we, were having, we had a discussion uh, after we had some chow tonight coming over to the studio. We're talking about close air support. We're talking about artillery and uh, what it was like then and maybe what it's like now and that. And, uh, you know, I think the, the as they call the artillery in, uh, in those days anyway, the brave cannon cockers and LZ Falcon uh, went without sleep for three days and nights to help keep uh, those uh, that surrounded you and under a wall of steel. 12 guns, 105 millimeter howitzers. The first day they fired 4,000 rounds alone. What's your feeling, Joe, about close-in fire support? I love it. <laughs> I love it. I tell you, it, it kept us alive. Uh, uh, General Moore can testify to that. I believe over those three days, the artillery fired 18,000 plus rounds of 105 howitzer. And uh, however bad it was for us, it was a hell of a lot worse for the guys on the other side because they had to walk through a wall of steel to get to us. And it was tough. And, and the air support was, was equally impressive. Uh, on the second morning, uh, uh, Lieutenant, Colonel, L Lieutenant Charlie Hastings, the forward observer, Air Force guy, pilot, was really getting his wet feet wet with the infantry, and uh, and and when it things were d at their darkest, uh, he called uh, Broken Arrow, uh, American unit in danger of being overrun, and every available aircraft in South Vietnam was diverted to our our control, stacked them up from 7,000 feet to 35,000 feet, and poured the bombs and napalms on us. Yeah, I think uh, there's, a, there's a, let me grab an email that just came in. Uh, the email says, you're missing the point. You walk away from the movie, We Were Soldiers, 
thinking men on the ground were not needed and we could have killed more bad guys with airstrikes. If you don't mention the fact that the North Vietnamese Army were trying to cut Vietnam into two. Um, they were. That was, that was the, uh, well, that was the original aim, uh, was to bait a trap at, at Play Me, by besieging Play Me Special Forces camp, drawing in the Arvin, ambushing them, killing them, and then their way would be open to play coup and on down Route 19 to the coast. But in point of fact, their plan was, was messed up by the arrival of the first cab. Oh. And, you know, uh, an old uh, Vietnam military maxim, he who controls the central highlands controls South Vietnam. General Moore, do you agree? I fully agree with that. And uh, it, it uh, when, as a matter of fact, when we talked, Joe Galloway and I talked in Vietnam in Hanoi in 1991 with the uh, enemy commanders who opposed us, they told us that uh, the original plan was to cut Vietnam in half in the Central Highlands in the fall of 1965. But then the first cab arrived on the scene, and they told us they put that plan on hold for 10 years and, and attacked Play Me Special Forces Camp to drive, to, to compel the first cab to come into the battle so, that, so they could learn how to fight us with our high-tech equipment, our radios, and our helicopters. And they did indeed uh, lure us into the battle, as the commanding general of the North Vietnamese said, we lured the tiger out of the mountain. And they had uh, historians on the ground to, to write, to observe, and write how we fought. And they disseminated that information all throughout the North Vietnamese Army and to the main force Viet Cong. Uh, and they fought us for the rest of the war and when you think about it, the French were uh, tied to the roads and could be ambushed very easily, but we were tied to the uh, clearings in the jungles of the Central Highlands. And they quickly learned that they could bait those jungles, clearings, and draw us into them. And the North Vietnamese commander, uh, General An, who opposed us in, uh, in the battle in the Adrang as a lieutenant colonel, he bragged to us about how he could uh, bait those clearings and draw our helicopter troops into those clearings and shoot down our helicopters and kill our people. And you know what? He was right. Well, I can attest to that. I was one of those guys baited at one time, actually a couple times. Uh, I want to turn to Sam for a minute. Sam is very proud of the first cab and talk about how the first cab disrupted those plans, but I'm going to put it in a different context, Sam. There's something out of Stephen Crane, The Colors, and it says, you cannot choose your battlefield. God does that for you. But you can plant a standard where a standard never flew. Is that what the first cab did? It certainly did. <clears throat> it, the decision was made that we were going to fight to the last man. We were not going to give that ground up no matter what. That decision was made, and it went through the entire battalion and those of us that were attached to that battalion. I think every man that was there fought gallantly. There isn't one man that I ever saw or have talked to since that I wasn't extremely proud of. They did plant their standard. And, you know, you talked a little earlier about the artillery 
and how the artillery support us. You also have to talk about the helicopter guys because without them guys, without our assault people who would come in and give us resupplies under tremendous fire when no one else would come in, you know, you keep saying over and over, we wouldn't be here, but believe me, if you were on the ground, you know we wouldn't be here without many, many people. And the artillery people and the attack helicopter people, you're talking about half the battle when you talk about X-ray. Remember, we marched, the 2nd and 7th marched from X-ray to Albany, and then were caught into an ambush. And those guys did the exact same thing for Albany that they did for X-ray, without any sleep, and fired again day after day, round after round, yeah, to I, keep us alive. I think uh, the artillery, close air support, uh, the helicopter pilots, moving ammunition, moving wounded, uh, water, uh, critical. And let's talk about the aviation just for a minute. Uh, General Hal Moore says that the aviation element will be present during ground training. The whole was better than the sum of the parts. Correct, Joe? Absolutely right. Were they true. there? Yeah. Absolutely true. And uh, you read uh, in, in, in the book, it's depicted in the movie of uh, the courage of the helicopter pilots, some coming in uh, to do medevac when medevac wouldn't come in. Uh, tough to uh, stay in those controls that uh, the collective and the cyclic as you're in the pedals as you're flying in a helicopter under fire. Hey, what about when you're sitting up there behind that thin plexiglass waiting for them to unload, waiting for them to throw on the wounded, get them aboard, and you're totally vulnerable, sitting up there six feet in the air, and there are people right at the edge of the field just shooting at you as hard as you can. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, the, 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 the jobs of the helicopter pilots in, in Vietnam is unbelievable. One thing that's uh, maybe a little bit of a shame is that uh, in the Vietnam War, we learned a lot about air assault, air mobile operations. I'm not sure that we've uh, improved a whole lot since Vietnam, except for the technology, the improvement of the helicopters. I'm not sure we've improved on the tactics uh, from those that sacrificed their lives developing those tactics in Vietnam. I, I'd, I'd like to ask uh, General Hal Moore's opinion on that real quick. we got about one minute left. Sir, comment on that? On the helicopter? Team? On the use. What we've learned from Vietnam apply today. How much better are we on helicopter operations today? Well, I, I would, we're great, but I would prefer to, to comment on the draftees who fought that war for life or death, ending in 12 months if they lived in an interminable war without an intelligible goal. And we've got those men across America today, and they're ready to go into battle, and I hope that our leaders uh, send them into, into, into battle with an, an intelligible goal, one that, one that we can get out of with a good exit strategy. And this movie that Randy Wallace has produced has showed the intensity of battle. It showed my respect for the enemy. It showed the tragic back home when those telegrams arrived. And it showed the fact that our troops fight for each other. And that's what I hope uh, comes across to the American people. When we send people into war, send them there with an intelligible mission and one that we can accomplish and then get the hell out of there. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully that, that'll happen this time. I think it will. I think the leadership's in place to make that happen. Uh, those uh, currently serving soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors uh, that are involved uh, feel very comfortable about that, and, uh, and hopefully it, uh, it'll turn out a little bit better than some of the past wars. 
Okay, we're going to go ahead and transition right now, Kenny. A nice salute to the U.S. military, thanks to our corporate sponsor, McDonald's. Here's the McDonald's Veteran of the Week. Okay, we're going to talk tonight about J.M. Owens. As a, Vietnam, as a veteran of the United States Marine Corps, owner-operator of 12 McDonald's restaurants, along with his wife in Atlanta, Georgia, J.M. served six years in the Marine Corps. He was stationed at Camp Pendleton, served in the Vietnam War at Da Nang and Marble Mountain, returned to Bremoton uh, Naval Hospital, and then trained reserves at the Sandpoint Naval Air Station in Seattle. J.M. says about his military service, quote, when I was a kid, my older brother, who also served in Marines, was a hero of mine. He said that you have a responsibility as a man to be in the military. You will know you have paid the price to serve your country. In some small way, I feel that by serving, I have contributed. As I, have, I, as I once heard someone say, in this country, we were brave before we were free. He added, when I was in the military, I flew rear seat in a vac and was able to participate in extracting Marines from situations in which they may have died. Also, I was able to participate in evacuating children and civilians. In some small way, my contributions may have saved somebody's life. A great uh, veteran, a uh, worker for the McDonald's uh, Corporation. And thanks to McDonald's, our corporate sponsor, with a salute to the U.S. military. We're now going to break for our McDonald's commercial. Welcome, class, to Daily Economics. Today's frugal foray, the dollar menu from McDonald's. Mouth-watering myth? Well, for minuscule money, you can procure a big and tasty sandwich with hearty beef, crisp lettuce, and juicy tomato. In fact, the tender McChicken sandwich and lots of your other favorites are also a buck each every day. Thus, at McDonald's, less moolah equals more ooh-la-la. Questions? Like, will this be on the test? Not unless you're a messy eater. Got a buck? You're in luck. With McDonald's dollar menu every day. Price and participation may vary. You're listening to the Veterans Hour on the Talk, 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 Talk Radio Network. The Veterans Hour now returns to duty on the Talk Radio Network. And now, with the update on military news from around the world, here's General Dave reporting. Tonight's news is going to be about right here tonight at this table. Those who have served together through extreme hardships established a bond that lasts forever. It is closer and more powerful than any other experience or love except for one's immediate family. Shakespeare understood it. His Henry V, Act Four, Scene Three, says it as it is for all the warriors. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. Joe, Sam, I believe that you understand the power of the band of brothers. And Joe, as a correspondent, uh, I think you fall in line with some other, other correspondents that went into battle and experienced that bond. Like Jack Beaver Thompson of the Chicago Tribune who covered the 82nd Airborne Division in World War II. And Richard Cherkaskis. International News Service at Guadalcanal, and Walter Cronkite, who was on Operation Market Garden, and Ernie Powell, European and Pacific Campaign. And uh, we're talking about the acceptance of a correspondent by the American GI. I would think that's quite an honor to you. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's something that, that you're driven to do. Uh, you know, the fear 
of not knowing the truth about war is, is greater than the fear of giving up your life to, to find out what's really going on out there and, and to go and share the dangers with, with the soldiers out there. Uh, it's, it is just something that I was driven to do, and, and I've been greatly honored to be accepted as a soldier by soldiers, and, and there's no greater honor done. And, and as tough as war is, it gives you the best friends of your life, uh, and it takes some of them away from you. But at the end of it all, you have the best friends of your life for the rest of your life. And uh, Sam Fantino sitting here, and I wouldn't trade a whole trainload of instant, of, of instant Canadians or a whole campus full of guys who dodged the draft by going to their physical wearing pantyhose for one Sam Fantino. Well, you're right about that. And, and you know, Sam, uh, I want to read something on the Internet that was just sent uh, to you from a guy, Fossey, in Salt Lake City, Utah. And he says that uh, I really want to thank battle-scarred veterans. Sometimes they don't like to talk about experiences, but we need to hear those experiences because we really appreciate what you do. That's from uh, Salt Lake City from Fosse. Well, I, speaking on behalf, if I can, the guys uh, who are out there, uh, I want to thank you for that. But if you really want to thank us, if you really want to do something, do it for the young men that are coming back today. Think about them, the guys who are coming back from all the different corners of the world. Please don't let them come back the way that we did. No matter what you think about whatever war we may go into or we are in, do not throw out the baby with the bathwater. You can hate the war, but don't hate the warrior. Respect him for what he did. Respect him for putting his life on a line for you men, for, for the, this country for his own family, for his own children, for his own mother, his own father, and for the freedoms that we all enjoy. Never take that man for granted. If you want to thank a veteran, thank one that's coming back. We did our time. We suffered. We did whatever we had to do. We came back. We fought with all of our ghosts. The new guys, don't let them do that, please. That was a nice word, Sam, and, and you're right on, and, and, uh, and thank you for that. Uh, Joe, you talked about some some uh, friendships and that. I believe at uh, LZ X-Ray, uh, under fire, you ran into a buddy of yours from high school class in Texas. Is that right? That's absolutely true. Who, who was that guy? guy named Vince Cantu. He was a mortar man. And uh, he and I graduated from Refurio High School in Texas, a graduating class of 55 kids. And the next time that I saw him after graduation was in the middle of landing zone x-ray. He jumped up out of a mortar pit, zigzagged under fire across the clearing, and dove under a bush that I was squatting behind. And he looked up and he said, Joe Galloway, Joe, don't you know me, man? It's Vince Cantu from Refurio. And uh, we talked a little bit, and he said if he survived this day, that he was going home in two weeks. He'd be home in Refurio by Christmas. And I said, Vince, go see my mom and dad, but don't tell them where you saw me. And he did. I've yeah, got yeah. pictures of him sitting in the living room with my mom and dad. It wouldn't take a million dollars for it. You know, um, yeah, that's a great story. Great story, Joe. I, I want to uh, 
I'm not sure. How did, uh, how did you, Sam, how did you get over to Vietnam? On a boat? Yes, we went over on the USS Maurice Rose. Okay, you're on the Rose and you mm -hmm. went through uh, Panama Canal. It took you about a month to get there. Uh, 28 days, I think, in a typhoon. Yeah. Now, while you were going there on a boat, about 30 days, your opponents, the 66th Regiment, left North Vietnam and over two months walked 500 miles on the Ho Chi Minh Trail to meet you at, in combat. Uh, pretty tough soldiers, huh? We thought we had it tough going over on a boat. Uh, it was nothing. It was a cakewalk compared to what those guys had. But remember, they were fighting for their own country. Right. So, fate said that we were to meet at a certain yeah, place. Yeah, it was dire, a dire victory. Absolutely. I mean, no other, no, no other, other choice. No other choice. Uh, I want to thank both of you tonight uh, for, for being on here with us and sharing your experiences. And I know it's a, it a short show. We could speak for hours. We're going to continue a little bit on. Uh, a little bit longer at the end of the at the end of the show tonight, but but thank you very much uh, for uh, for what you've done and uh, and participating with us here tonight. Well, thank you for having us on the show, Dave, and thanks for putting on the Veterans Hour uh, every week. It's uh, uh, veterans all over the country love you for it. Well, it's it's this it's the whole group of guys here, Lance and, and Kenny and, and Carl and Lambert and the rest of them. Uh, final, final quote here I'd like to share with you. A commander must display quiet confidence and display no fear. Ignoring the noise, the dust, the smoke, the thirst, the explosions, screams of wounded and yells, the dead lying around him. Such chaos is normal in battle, not the exception. Good commanders strive to make battle organized chaos rather than disorganized carnage. And you are fortunate to be in a fight that where you had a commander and a chain of command that did that. Good night. Absolutely. Uh, from the We Were Soldiers, Mansions of the Lord. And uh, Joe Galloway asked us to specially put that on, and I'm glad he did. It made a lot of sense. We've off the airwaves now on the radio, but we're going to continue for just a few minutes on a chat around the table here in order to help the Internet people that are still listening. Uh, right now, I think they said 54 countries. So uh, we're doing pretty good. <laughs> Um, and Dave, I think you want to introduce another guest that we brought up to the table in order to um, tell us his reflections of what he thought tonight. Yeah, I'd I like uh, to get a few comments, uh, Stan, from you. Mr. Stan Cook used to be chairman of the Tribune Company, uh, been all over the world, uh, covers wars, covers everything on citizenship and what's happening in America, uh, and uh, was instrumental to a lot of my what I did, my, uh, my choices in the future. But I'd like to ask Stan, uh, his comments being from Army Air Corps in his earlier days, uh, his thoughts on tonight's program uh, and just on veterans. Well, <clears throat> uh, Dave, I think the only uh, one of the great things about uh, a program like this is it uh, gives you a very large measure of appreciation for what other men did. And, you know, your ability to have these people around this small table and to have uh, General Moore 
and the others, uh, Director Wallace. Uh, it's a, it's a great tribute to this organization to be able to put on a program like this that reaches so far across the world and touches so many other men and women who, uh, who did uh, equal jobs but who aren't here but can listen. And it was a, a real treat for me to be able to listen to what these men said about this very grim and very difficult uh, encounter that they had in 1965. I think it's interesting that it was just about 37 years ago today that the battle ended. Yeah, that's right. 37, and uh, that was after with the second of the Cav, seventh Cav, right on the 17th. Right. Yeah, and uh, that's Sam's actually parent unit. Is yeah, that right? Second and seventh was our parent unit. Yeah. I was part of second and seventh. Right, and you were you were attached to the first for a while. We were attached to the first coming into the eye drain. Right. Uh, just quickly, we we need to pay a little bit of respect to the second of the seventh calf. Can you spend a minute or two talking about uh, their part of the battle? Well, as, as I said, we were attached to the first and the seventh coming into the eye drain, and uh, Joe alluded earlier to Charlie Company and now. Uh, almost got over overrun. We were asked to move up and take that uh, position. Uh, Lieutenant Rizzola was uh, in charge of our platoon. Uh, we went out and set up, uh, he went up and set our fields of fire and dug three-man foxholes and went out under sniper fire out in front to make sure that uh, what it looked like from the en enemy perspective um, it was unbelievable. I mean, you had to, to be there to see this guy. He, he acted like he was on a Sunday stroll. Um, decided that we should be moved back and, and we did and uh, fortunately I think that uh, we, he did the right thing because uh, poof is in the pudding. We got hit very hard next couple of days and uh, we were able to hold them off and we ended up losing uh, four men during that particular part of the battle. When that was over we were relieved by the first and the fifth and the second and the seventh. Uh, the decision was made and I don't know how but that's a pay grade way above my uh, pay grade, that they would march across country to landing zone Albany. And these guys had been up, marching in, no sleep, carrying this 120 degrees, carrying a heavy load. They decide they're going to march them to Albany. Uh, on the way to Albany, they got ambushed just before they got there. We had pulled out with 1st and the 7th, and uh, we'd gone back to Camp Holloway. As soon as we got back, we some of us went to uh, get some drinks, uh, the officers did. Some of us decided to try and get out of our clothes and burn them. And uh, those of us that were in uh, Bravo Company, Lieutenant Rascolas, uh, cleaned our weapons before we did anything else because we'd have to answer to him if we didn't. So uh, we did that, and, uh, and very shortly thereafter, we heard that our battalion was in serious trouble, and they asked us to uh, go back in. So um, Rick uh, told... Uh, Sergeant Thompson and myself to get the guys together and that uh, our, our battalion was in some deep shit and we were supposed to get back, saddle up and get back in. Rick told me that the proudest moment in his life was when he looked down the line and he saw every single man ready, waiting to go back in. Uh, after x-ray you can understand, you may not have known what it was about when you went in the x-ray, but there was no doubt what it was about when you were going in Albany. And he said he looked down the line and he saw all these guys, half of them had taken a shower and cleaned up, the other half hadn't even had a chance to do that. 
but every single weapon was clean, everybody had a full load of ammunition, everybody was ready to go. We boarded the helicopters, we flew into Albany. Unfortunately, it was tremendously, uh, was heavy fire. Not everybody was able to get in. Uh, our particular platoon, uh, headquarters uh, of our platoon, uh, Sergeant Thompson, Sergeant McMillan, myself, Rick Wascola, medic. Our co-pilot was hit. Our pilot was hit. He banked to get out. Uh, we were about 10, 12 feet in the air, and uh, Rick said, jump. So he never said no to Rick Wascola. Everybody piled out. Unfortunately, they didn't drop us in the right spot. There wasn't much of the right spot, as you can gather, because we were pretty well spread out, but they had a little bit of a perimeter. And uh, we were fortunate enough to, to get back into that perimeter, and when we did, uh, you, you can't believe the difference that one man makes. It, it's impossible to believe. But him coming in and just picked everybody's spirits up, remember, they got chewed up real bad. and. Uh, he just was able to, through his personality, through his being, um, to, to pick everybody up. And we made it through the next couple of days. Uh, he went out at night uh, with Sergeant Thompson and tried to get some of the wounded that were uh, out there because they were going amongst their wounded and killing them and bring them back in. Again, I can't say enough about the helicopter pilots. Them guys came back in, brought us ammo, brought us water. Uh, I don't know what it's like to sit there watching the guy point at you with a rifle and not move because when you're in a hole you move um, so Albany was it was a unbelievable devastation there were as we flew in over uh, Albany and I was looking out one side of the helicopter Rick was looking out the other and Rick said uh, boy he said we really did a job with them there was Vietnamese all over the place I said not on my side they're all I were Americans on our side um, it was hand-to-hand tooth and nail, uh, but again, Gary Owen. There you go. Well, that's that's a, a great story about a terrific unit. And, uh, you know, once you do an op, uh, you make it out, and then someone unexpectedly says you're going back in, uh, pull that out of your gut and go. That's that, that, that's a tough, those are tough situations. They're tough situations. Stan, I, I know you're... I haven't been a pilot fascinated about the helicopter stories. Uh, I, I think they're tremendous. Uh, you know, the UE is not near as uh, robust uh, as, as the Blackhawk. Uh, we had uh, six Blackhawks shot all the pieces in Granada. Uh, if they were UEs, they were all gone down. And I say that having flown UEs for a while. Uh, they're just, they just they're not strong, obviously. They don't have the, the power um, as a Blackhawk. Yet the, the UE. The amount of work that that aircraft was put through in Vietnam is, is unbelievable. Well, Dave, you know, it's uh, uh, I've had the good fortune of uh, seeing some of those uh, helicopter operations in Germany uh, being conducted by the 1st Infantry Division, your old organization where you were a leader. And I think it, it impresses uh, uh, all of us uh, to see the results of what a citizen soldier can do right from the top to the bottom. And it, it, it shows the value uh, of that relationship that all of these men have talked about, this, uh, this bonding, this, this special thing that joins these fighting units together to be victorious and to uh, uh, deal with a determined enemy. And uh, uh, when you think of uh, 
as I read the book, when you, I think the book opened by being dedicated to the memories of the 200 and I think it was 274 men who died. Uh, and it's an example of what the price you pay for uh, having a, a country that honors the citizen soldier and that what they accomplish. And so to see the helicopters, to see probably the, uh, the fighters, uh, the uh, Air Force uh, the air support, uh, it, it may have been coming from the Navy as well as from the Army. Uh, and, and we have the, uh, the input from the Marines. Uh, it just is a, a, a wonderful spirit of cooperation that produces those kind of results. And, you know, everyone from the private to the, to the four-star general is, uh, deserves a great deal of credit. And I'm sure the people in the United States are very, very proud of all of them. And this is a, a nice program to be able to talk a little bit about it. Well, I think so. And I think it's important to, though there are different wars, you know, Vietnam was, I mean, you can argue what it was, what the, the reason was, but it was really to stop the spread of communism, part of the Cold War period. Uh, now it's, uh, again, terrorism and, uh, and those that uh, uh, may uh, spread the use of weapons of mass destruction, whatever the case may be. But the GIs are still GIs, and uh, you know the countries send them into to harm's way, and uh, why they go, uh, their respect for them, their care for them, uh, appreciating what they do, doesn't change. It should be remain the same. They're American GIs. Well, right? Dave, you know there's another thing too, and it's uh, my uh, prejudices uh, uh, show here, but. Uh, it's, it's a great honor for me to be here with Joe Galloway, who did his uh, yeoman work uh, starting in Texas at the age of 17, uh, and then became uh, a bureau chief uh, for the uh, UPI, and uh, continued this career and then to U.S. News and World Report, and now what he's doing in Washington. Uh, it, it's great to see that not only was he a citizen soldier, because he had to be a citizen soldier, but he was also a, a, a war correspondent doing his job, even if he had to get kicked off the ground to take a picture. Uh, but it's just, uh, it's, a great, uh, it's a great moment for me to be able to see Joe as he reminded me, uh, it was 23 years ago when we first met in Moscow, and uh, he's got not only got a great pencil, he's got a great memory. <laughs> it's great to see you again, Stan, and I thank you for your kind words. And uh, there's a chat that uh, one of the questions that came in, they wanted to know, Joe, what's uh, on the books for you now? Well, right now I'm kind of flying solo a bit and uh, trying to finish another book on uh, the history of the all-black 92nd Infantry Division in World War II, oh, the war north of Rome. Uh, an interesting story, uh, not all good, but interesting nonetheless. And I'm, uh, I've just signed on as a, uh, a consultant on military affairs for the Knight Ritter newspaper group in Washington, helped them get ready to cover uh, the coming conflict, uh, which I assume is going to happen. I think so. And uh, going around the country, doing talks to veterans groups, uh, war colleges, uh, military groups, uh, citizens, uh, just trying to uh, uh, share a little bit of the stories uh, of our fighting men. 
Well, and you do a great job of it. We've had Joe at several of our Cantini conference series discussing uh, national issues and military and the media, that relationship, and he's been a tremendous asset. To all of you at the table, uh, there's an email here from uh, Eileen. Yes, Eileen. Eileen, and she says, thank you for a very informative show. These memories and experiences are important for all of us to hear. Say hello to the hacks. And the PS is 25 degrees here in northernmost Minnesota. <laughs> and she enjoys the show each week via the Internet. Well, we're going to wrap up now. I'd like to get, if you can, just a, a quick follow-on uh, follow comment, closing comment from, from, from all three of you, uh, just on, uh, um, on veterans. Just anything you want to say, something to the veterans that are listening tonight. Well, I want to I want to say that uh, that you know the country has in the past few years uh, paid a great deal of attention as it should have to our World War II veterans. Uh, my father and six of his brothers wore the uniform in that war, and four of my mother's brothers. So uh, uh, I grew up in the uh, early 40s uh, in houses full of frightened women looking out the windows for the telegraph boy and. Uh, and I truly hate to see this generation going out of the game because they were the greatest generation and they built this nation. And so to everybody out there, I say, if you have someone in your family who fought in that war, the big war, the good war, uh, uh, give them a hug and a big thank you and uh, cherish them greatly because uh, they're not going to be with us too much longer, and when they're gone, we're really going to miss them. Okay. Thank you. I, I think that uh, we have to take our hats off to the young men and women, women especially today, they're doing what the men are doing. Uh, we did our part, and we passed on the gauntlet and that flag that we talked about where you set your guide on down and you don't move. Well, it's up to the next generation to do that. And from what I could see, we couldn't ask for a better group of guys, young men and young women. They're going to do us proud. They always have. Be proud of the uniform that you wear. It stands for freedom. It stands for everything that's good and right in this country. When you're out there, remember that you're loved and honored back here. Cool. Stan? David, I think uh, uh, one thing that uh, has impressed me, and, and it's been the opportunity to see some of the, uh, the national cemeteries overseas, where uh, the, uh, the United States government maintains uh, the care for those who gave their lives. And I think uh, if you want an, an inspirational visit, pay a visit to a cemetery overseas. They're uh, a, a stark reminder of uh, what it cost and what these men and women gave. No, that's absolutely right. And that's, uh, I, I agree. You know, we, well, Stan and I have had the opportunity with the McCormick Tribune Foundation to put a Carolina bell tower up in a cemetery every year in an American cemetery overseas. In fact, we met in Carthage, Tunisia. Uh, we've done Henry Chappelle, we've done Normandy, we've done uh, Wazain, Bella Wood, uh, many, many uh, Cambridge uh, cemeteries around the world. We do that in partnership with AMVETS. 
and then this coming year we're going to do one in the cemetery in northern france and brittany in may next may but but stands right there they're an inspiration they're done to standard to honor our fallen comrades you know they make you proud to just be among the heroes that you know or are buried there and it's a that's exactly right it's an inspiration well we're going to close tonight and i'm going to turn it over to our trusted uh, producer Kenny DeCamp. I just want to add one thing too. We need to remember our retired veterans, our disabled veterans, the ones that have been here for so long, the ones that are getting cut out of a lot of things. I get the majority of me emails saying, thanks for the show, but I don't think you know what's really going on with in Washington, the changes that are being made to cut out those that were of the big war, those that were from Korea, those were from Vietnam, and on and on. Uh, next week's show, we do have uh, from the National Re uh, Golf War Resource Center uh, a story um, um, by the people that are going to help us to understand what we still haven't learned that took place there, and we're about to go in and, and try it again. So a lot of patriotism. Uh, General Dave, great show. And thanks to the uh, studio audience for being here with us tonight. We'll see you again. Stop.